the idea in the heart and the plan of God was always that the people of Israel would carry faith in the God of Israel. So that's what Paul's saying when he says natural branches. Yeah. Okay, these branches are are made that they were they were born part of this tree. Unnatural branches is the nations, right? God makes this covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but then he makes it very clear in Isaiah and so many other places, hey, this, this salvation, this restoration, this transformative encounter with the God of Israel, it's not just for Israel. I'll also give you, Yeshua, it says in Isaiah, to become my salvation to the very ends of the earth and to the Gentile. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world in the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. Just a heads up before we dive into our topic today, Carly, you know, A Jew and a Gentile Discuss is listener supported and we want to give you, our listeners, an opportunity at the end of this program to get more involved. So stay tuned for those details. Let's discuss. Ezra, we're continuing this Israel mini-series that we're calling it, and we're going to be going through and talking about things that are going on in Israel, topics in the Bible that relate to Israel, and how Jews and Gentiles alike can understand them. Sure. Uh, and today we're going to look specifically at Romans 11, which has a lot in it. So we're going to focus specifically on a few verses mm -hmm. that have to do with this phrase, grafted in. Good. So before I let you tell us what that means, I'm just going to read a couple of the verses so that there's some context. So we're sure. in Romans 11. Um, this verse is verse 17. It says, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. And... That phrase grafted in is mm -hmm. not something that we use like in the English very right. often when we're like talking to each other. Like, totally. You know, maybe you're grafted into the family perhaps when you get married. Yeah. But what, what does it mean here when it says grafted in? You mean, Carly, you don't have your own plot of land of several hectares that you cultivate from season to season? And No. Okay. Do well, you? I also do not. No, I'm a city person. <laughs> okay. okay. Like my latte... Don't know much about grafting and cultivating yeah. and sowing and watering. And anyway, all these agrarian, right, uh, agricultural references that were totally common to people at the time that we've lost touch with. So I think the challenge is or, or the, the, the pitfall is that we take the understanding we already have and then we read that backwards into the scripture yeah. to get it to mean what we say. Mm -hmm. And zooming out a bit before we even dig into Romans 11 and the grafted in symbol and what's going on there uh, for the last 17, 1800 years. I think something I've heard is, you know, people love, people say, I love Romans. It's my favorite book in the Bible, right? It's my favorite book in the New Testament. And they're talking about, you know, uh, we're more than conquerors, right? And if God is for us, who can be against us? And we yep. love Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. And just this idea of being victorious in the Lord and nothing that's coming against us, you know, will cause us to fail. We'll, we'll be more than victorious. And we get to the end of chapter 8. And then Paul starts in, in chapter 9 with this whole really theological discourse for a predominantly Gentile audience, right? The, mm -hmm. the church in Rome about the Jews, about the Jewish people 
and what's going on with their unbelief and has God blinded them and is that permanent and what's the relationship between Jew and Gentiles and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and then you're talking about olive trees and wild and natural branches and we don't get it and so people just sort of do this they stop at the end of Romans 8 I'm more than a conqueror amen and then we cut to Romans 12:1 right therefore brothers in view of God's mercy Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? And it's very devotional and it's very meaningful and we love to do messages about it. But uh, I heard my, my one of my college professors, actually, I had to do some Bible classes in college and he said this, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Yeah. And we love to quote Romans 12, 1, right? So many believers know it. If you don't know the address, you've at least heard the scriptures, right? It says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, well, what's the therefore, therefore? Mm -hmm. And so it forces you, if you want to dig into the scriptures, to go back a few verses or a few paragraphs into Romans 11 to this very passage that you just read. And it's this idea that God in his providence is having mercy simultaneously, differently, but simultaneously on Jews and on Gentiles so that each of them carry a unique part of of. of of his glory. And what do I mean by his glory? That's kind of squishy language. A unique part of the reality of who he is. Okay. Each one of us is carrying a distinct testimony that when you put it together, you see the fullness of the wisdom of God. And that's how Paul ends Romans 11, right? He says, behold, the, the measure of the wisdom of God. And right before that, it says, you see, God's bound all, all means in the context, Jews and non-Jews, so Jewish people, the part of the people of Israel historically, and nations people, tribes, tongues, and nations, he's bound all of us over to disobedience. He's sort of given us over to the reality of our own sinful condition so that he can have mercy on us all. And then Paul says, behold how incredible God's wisdom is and the depth and the riches of his mercy. Therefore, in view of that mercy, offer your bodies. And we're back on the typical, you know, right. Christian preaching track. But right. Um, right before that is this idea of being grafted in and wild and natural olive branches. And we're going to talk about what that means. And I guess we can we can use that symbol that some in our audience, if you're from a Christian background, you've seen this symbol here or there, maybe on a T-shirt, maybe, you know, the typical is like the keychain, right? Yeah, or a church uses it, right? The necklace, the logo, it's in the bookstores, the bookmark that you get with your Bible that you give somebody. Um, and, and we go, oh, that's cute. But what does it actually mean and where does it actually come from? I'm not ready to like take an archaeological stand and say it was definitely found on this rock in this city at this time. Some people have, yeah. you know, there's a lot of debate around that. But what we do know is it's not a new thing. It's actually an old thing. And this idea that really very Jewish symbols like the menorah, right, the symbol of worship in the temple. And then the uh, Star of David connecting them, right? Which uh, the Magen David, it's actually Shield of David in the Hebrew, but it's a star. So the Star of David, which has been around, you know, that's been proven. You can go to Capernaum where Jesus ministered and there's actually Stars of David in the stonework in Israel. So that shows you it's not a new invention of the Jewish people. That was sort of a symbol of Judaism during the time of Jesus mm -hmm. and hundreds of years before, mm -hmm. probably during the time of David, right? If it's the shield and star of David. And then both of these things are linked to this this fish, which we know historically was sort of this secret way for believers, right? You would sort of make a, a crescent in the sand on a piece of paper if you had a writing implement which most didn't but right you'd make sort of this this crescent and then if somebody else was a believer they'd finish it 
with another crescent, which would make a fish. And the idea was from Yeshua, Jesus' teaching, I'll make you, if you follow me, to be fishers of men, right? You'll mm -hmm. pull men out of the depths of their condition and you'll rescue them uh, into eternity and forgiveness with God. So all of these are linked and we call it the grafted in symbol. And we say, that's pretty cute. Look, it's grafted in because all three of these symbols are now touching and they're amalgamated. But that's not actually what we mean when we say grafted in. It's not just mashing together different religious symbols. Mm -hmm. There's something more important going on that we usually don't even think about. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the Jewish people and in the Bible, it talks right. about that they're the chosen people. And so now we're talking about here that, you know, Gentiles are grafted in. Sure. What does that mean? Like are all Gentiles Jews now and everyone is equal or, you know, what is the Bible trying to say here? Yeah, it's a great question. So the idea is it says grafted into a tree. You're grafted into the, the Greek word there is the fatness. So the idea is like the, the quality of branches on an olive tree and then the quality of the fruit that they produce is inextricably linked to how full or lacking what's coming out of the trunk is. So the idea is if you see the condition of the branches, you have to look at the trunk. And Paul's saying you've been grafted into a tree who in whose trunk is 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 a fatness, is a fullness. It's like a qualitative thing. Think like, you know, the richest olive oil. But the idea there is this 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 rich experience, this rich heritage that you've been grafted into. Well, what is that? Do do Christians who receive, who accept Jesus, Yeshua, who came as, you know, the Messiah of the lost sheep of the house of Israel and the Savior of the nations, do Christians become Jews? No, but what's the fatness that they were grafted into? And Paul makes it very clear that the fatness, the richness is the heritage of the faith of Abraham, right? Because remember before Abraham was called, actually he's the first one in the Bible to be called a Hebrew, mm -hmm. which literally Yivrit in, in Hebrew means of the covenant, yeah. of the cutting, right? Okay, so Abraham the Hebrew, but wait a minute, before he's called the Hebrew, God made him a promise and said, go to a land I'll show you and I'll bless you and I'll bless your descendants. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it says, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. And Abraham's righteousness came just because of faith, just because of belief before he did or didn't do anything. And let's remember later, he says his wife is his sister a couple times and mm -hmm. does all kind of crazy junk, right? Like he's not a perfect man, but it says Abraham believed God's promise. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So that's what Paul's talking about is Gentiles who receive Jesus. In essence, they're, they're hearing Jesus died on the cross, right? And he was buried and he was raised the third day, which means if you believe in him, you can have blood forgiveness through his sacrifice for your sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. The Bible is clear. That's true for humanity, not just the Jewish people. So you can be forgiven of your sins. And because of his resurrection from that grave, you can have eternal life in the presence of God the Father, right? So this is the promise, but we don't have to do anything to earn that promise. All we have to do is what Abraham did to believe. And if we believe on Jesus, just like the Jewish people need to believe on Yeshua the Messiah, mm -hmm. then, we're, then we're invited into, through faith, not through works, that fatness, right? The fatness of eternal life, the fatness of a relationship, a real living dynamic relationship with Jesus, the God of the Christians? No, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob made manifest through the person of Yeshua. Mm -hmm. So that's that fatness. It's not grafted into the Jewish religious 
path or a Jewish life cycle, or if I'm grafted in now, do I need to keep the Jewish holidays? Like there's an invitation if you want to do that, but that's not what Paul's saying. What Paul's saying is just like Abraham believed before he did anything, you believed when you couldn't do anything and you're grafted into the richness of that heritage of faith. God counts it to you as righteousness because you believed. And Paul's very clear elsewhere in Romans, he says, actually in Ephesians as well, he makes it very clear that this faith that we have that's counted to us as righteousness doesn't come from us either. That even the faith, like right, to hear the gospel and to say, I believe, we don't intellectually assent to that. That faith in that moment to respond to the good news is also a gift from God. And it says so that no one can boast. Mm -hmm. So that's what Paul's saying is Jews and Gentiles alike have zero works-based path to forgiveness. We need, we need blood sacrifice. We need the forgiveness of sins. Jesus offers it to both parties equally. And all we need to do is believe. And then we get grafted into that richness. So even though Jews and Gentiles are, are grafted into this one olive tree with many right. branches is right. kind of the analogy that it's using. Right. There's a point in this verse that says um, that we are to make Israel jealous. Right. What does that mean? So I assume then that the Jews have their own thing that they're supposed to do and the Gentiles have their own thing, but they're supposed to make Israel jealous. Sure. So before I can speak to that, like, let's talk for just a minute about the idea of the natural and the unnatural branches, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise we go, okay, everybody was cut off and everybody's grafted in. There is no difference. Yeah. But what's Paul saying? Natural branches, right? The idea is that God makes a promise to Abraham, who's called the first Hebrew, okay, which later becomes... The Hebrews are the Jewish people, but the word Jewish or Jew comes from the tribe Judah. They remained in Israel after many of the tribes left. So Jewish doesn't just refer to the tribe of Judah. It refers to the entire people of Israel from all the tribes. But this idea that in Abraham's line, after God makes him the promise and Abraham says, yes, I believe, he says it's going to be through your son and not the son of works that you had with Hagar. It's going to be mm -hmm. the son of faith that Sarah has that would have been impossible in the natural to have. It's going to be through Isaac that this seed and this promise will continue. And then he says, not Esau, because he hated his birthright, even though he was the firstborn. It's going to be Jacob, Jacob, the mm -hmm. heel grabber deceiver, because he wanted the, now he got it in the wrong way, but he desired that blessing, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this line of Abraham then not Ishmael Isaac, and then not Esau Jacob. And this becomes the 12 tribes of Jacob or Israel, and it becomes the Jewish people. So faith in the God of Israel, he calls himself, isn't it interesting? God could call himself, he calls himself, you know, yud heh vav -Heh, Yehovah, people say, or, you know, El Shaddai. Uh, but he chooses to call himself by the people he made a covenant with. So that's this idea of natural olive branches, mm -hmm. is that the people of Israel were forever in every generation to carry a testimony and a faith in the God of Israel. And the scriptures also make it clear because we were a stiff-necked, stubborn-hearted people, still are, in every generation we kind of mess it up and we miss it. And Paul says, just like Isaiah says hundreds of years before, actually we're spiritually blind to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. Like there's a condition on us. But the idea in the heart and the plan of God was always that the people of Israel would carry faith in the God of Israel. So that's what Paul's saying when he says natural branches. Yeah. Okay, these branches are are made that they were they were born part of this tree, and yet were cut off because of spiritual blindness and unbelief. Mm -hmm. But were meant to be part of the tree. Unnatural branches is the nations, right? God makes this covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but then he makes it very clear in Isaiah and so many other places, hey, this, this salvation, this restoration, 
this transformative encounter with the God of Israel, it's not just for Israel. He doesn't say it's not for Israel. He says it's not only for Israel because that's too small a thing. I'll also give you, Yeshua, it says in Isaiah, to become my salvation to the very ends of the earth and to the Gentiles. So branches that didn't at first belong to that faith, but that have a destiny in the heart and plan and mercy of God to be brought into that same faith. That's the idea mm -hmm. between natural and unnatural branches. So all that context now, right? Like to answer the question about what's this thing that Paul says, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating for the Jewish community because the Jewish community has really just felt provoked by the Christian community rather than provoked to jealousy. We don't even get what that means. Yeah. And I think it's frustrating for the Christian community because there's so much pressure these days, Carly, to say like, you have your religious system and I have mine. And I guess God is smart and he's big and he can work it all out for us one day. So you don't offend me and I won't offend you. And yet Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Understand Gentiles in Rome, and we can say by application, understand Christians from the nations, not part of the Jewish people, that actually the way and the timing within which God gave you salvation through Jesus was a setup for you to carry your faith in such a way that provokes the Jewish people to jealousy. And we've talked about this on other episodes, but this idea of jealousy, right? Mm -hmm. Like envy says, oh, I wish I had that, right? Like, here's this thing. Carly has, you know, a really cool thing on her desk and I want it. I'm envious that you have it. Jealousy says there's something going on here. There's an intimacy being shared that actually belongs to me. Mm -hmm. It's a much deeper emotion. And the Bible says in the Old Testament, which in, in the Jewish community, we know that as the Jewish scriptures, they're all the Jewish scriptures because they were almost all written by Jewish men and women. Uh, but uh, this idea in the Old Testament and New Testament, God says, I'm jealous. I'm jealous for Zion. I'm zealous for Zion. I'm jealous over the Jewish people. And I'm provoking the Jewish people to jealousy by the way that I've, that I've poured out salvation and the invitation to be grafted into the olive tree to the nations of the earth. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we actually have gotten this question. People write in and go, so if the whole, if one of the purposes of Christians is to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy, then are Christians, are Gentiles who believe in Jesus kind of like pawns on the chessboard of God's real, really important yeah. plan for Israel. And I think we have to reject this idea. We talk about this a lot on the podcast, right? Reject this idea that it's either or. And I think we have to embrace this idea as people are trying to understand what the heck with Israel and the Jewish people, right? Like what is going on, especially now in a post-October 7th reality, right? It's super complex, but I think we have to reject false choices of it's either this the Lord's doing or it's that, and one is mutually exclusive. And I think we need to embrace the idea that it's necessarily first, the first thing and the whole thing, not this thing or that thing. So the first thing God was after was to bring the Messiah of Israel to the people of Israel. We, in large part, rejected him. So he accomplished then the bigger thing that he's always been after. The Old and New Testaments confirm that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, Jew or Gentile, believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life, right? So God pours out salvation and brings nations, every people, tribe, and tongue on earth, into a relationship with him through that same Messiah while Israel in large part is rejecting them. But God says, yeah, yeah, but that first thing in my heart, I'm not giving up on it. And I've made promises and I've staked my name on it. Mm -hmm. I've attached my very name to what happens with this people. So while nations of the world and people within nations are coming to faith in Jesus, they should carry themselves in a way 
their, right, carry their faith in the God of Israel. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, who's also the savior of the world, not Jesus who showed up and invented another religion in zero AD, right? Mm -hmm. Carry that faith in a way that the gospel comes back to the Jewish people, but this time not through, through Yeshua's words, which were rejected, but through jealousy. So in essence, God's saying, I'm going to get what I'm after from Israel. And if they wouldn't do it the easy way, I'm going to get a hold of their heart the hard way through this deep, kind of ugly, passionate, powerful emotion called jealousy. Mm -hmm. They're going to see something in believers among the nations and go, wait a minute, that belongs to us. And so that's really the challenge for Christians who have been grafted in, right? You're unnatural olive branches, but guess what? You're part of the olive tree now. So I think that's the other challenge, right? And that's where Paul's saying in that same passage, hey, don't be prideful, Gentile believers. He's saying it to the Romans, right? They're going, well, look, so many in our community are coming to faith. And Paul went down the street and preached to the synagogue and they kicked him out and almost stoned him to death. And only one or two came to faith. So what's the big deal with the Jewish people? And why does that matter anyway? And Paul's saying, no, 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 understand your destiny now as those who are grafted into this olive tree, whose, whose roots are the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your destiny and your identity is locked in with the Jewish people. And though you may misunderstand or resent what God's doing with them and the way he's doing it, your destiny is tied up in theirs because he's after something in them, just like he's after something in you. When the Bible says make Israel jealous, yeah. I want to yeah. clarify because you keep saying the Jewish people. Sure. And when many listeners might think Israel, they might be thinking the state of Israel. Right. Is God saying here to make Israel, the people that live in the land, jealous or Israel wherever right. a Jewish person may live. Yeah, it's a great question. So often, I can't say always, right? And I'm not like a deep th theologian here, but often in the scriptures, when we're talking about Israel, we're talking about the people of Israel who were given the land of Israel. So often it says the land of Israel, or even in, in the Bible, it'll just say in the Hebrew, Haaretz, which is the land, mm -hmm. okay? And it's referring specifically to the promised land, the land of Israel. But here, and in most cases where in the New Testament, it says Israel, Paul is talking about the people of Israel, okay, the Israelites. They wouldn't necessarily have been known as the Jews until later on in history, but it was this Am Yisrael, the people of Israel, mm -hmm. okay? So he's he's not talking about making the state of Israel jealous. Right. There wasn't actually a political entity called Israel in the time of right. Jesus and in the first century. There was the people of Israel living until 70 AD after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in the land of Israel. But the actual governmental authorities were a Roman setup. It was it was a outpost of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. So that helps us understand even more in the context. When he says Israel, he's talking about the people of Israel. Yeah. Now, we know today there's six million Jews and growing who live in the land of Israel, this state that was miraculously reborn mm -hmm. in 1948. But here it's talking about all Jewish people, wherever they are. And I think that's something God, God's promises to the Jewish people. I'm just, I'm saying this to Christians. God's promises to the Jewish people are not limited to Jewish people living within the borders of the current political state of Israel. Yeah. When he says Israel or all Israel, especially, he's talking about, depending on how you count, all 16 to 25 million and growing Jewish people living on the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we get to the application, I just have one more clarifying question, which is sure. 
I hear this phrase one new man a lot, mm. which is this idea of like Jew and Gentile sure. and they'll become like one. So tricky. Explain that and how that relates or doesn't relate to right. grafted in. Yeah, totally. It's related. And one new man, like so many, maybe some of our listeners who have sort of studied you know, messianic Jewish things or who have been a while in the trying to understand Israel and the Jewish people bucket or even some Jewish believers who who are listening. Mate, when you said one new man, everything in them just tensed up. <laughs> yeah. Because it's been the most dragged through the mud, messed up, convoluted conversations of people trying to explain it. So here, I'll add my I'll add my, you know, two cents to this whole pile. And here here here's how I understand it. And one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways we can think about it is um because where Paul says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, which replacement theologians love to quote, they love to quote that tiny phrase and cut even the rest of the verse, right? There's neither Jew nor Gentile. What are they trying to say? Mm -hmm. They're trying to say there's no difference to God, therefore Jewish identity doesn't matter. But then right after that, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free, which again, in the context there, there were classes in Roman society. There yeah. were indentured servants and there were freemen, right? These were, and he's saying in the sense of righteousness before God, that doesn't matter. But d does womanhood and manhood matter? matter? If it didn't anymore, people, the, the, humanity would end, right? So there's these important distinctions that exist, even though in terms of righteousness and our path to righteousness before a holy God, there is no distinction. Okay, right. Think of a marriage, right? That you have this man and woman and they're living separate lives and then they form this covenant relationship and they're still a man and they're still a woman. But now people see them as one unit and actually they're supposed to see themselves that way, right? Like my destiny is fundamentally wrapped up in my wife's destiny and hers in mine. We're not going anywhere without each other. Her success is my success. We maintain our separate distinctive identities as male and female, but there's some new part of my identity here that I'm, I've become something new. I've become a, a, a unit, a covenant relationship with this other person. Mm -hmm. And so that's the idea, the best way I can try to describe it of one new man, right? There's still Gentiles who carry their testimony of having had nothing to do with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and having been brought through Jesus into relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And there's still Jews in the kingdom, right? Who say, I was cut off because my father, my ancestors and I have been stiff-necked, stubborn-hearted. We fell short of the glory of God. But Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, the, the, the one who came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel rescued me from sin and death, right? And has become my salvation. We each carry a unique, similar but distinct testimony. And the idea of one new man is now within the body of Messiah, right? Which is, which is the bride of the Lord, right? He's coming back for the body, Jew and Gentile alike. My destiny is completely caught up in your destiny as a Gentile Christian. Mm -hmm. And your destiny is completely caught up in mine and the people I represent's destiny in terms of God's plans and promises for the people of Israel. So still distinct, but there's something new. And the new thing is our inextricable relationship one to the other. Yeah. And I think that's what Paul's trying to say is you're now just like after the, we'd say the chuppah in a Jewish wedding, right? But after the, in a Christian wedding too, after the ceremony, you're fundamentally now something else. You're not your own. Mm -hmm. You've become something different in relation to the other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he's saying with one new man, unity with distinction. But we're new in the sense that the Jewish people, the remnant of Israel, doesn't exist by itself anymore. We're linked in a body, in unity by the Spirit of God, to every nation's believer who's come into the kingdom. 
and nations believers who had nothing to do with Israel are now linked inextricably with this remnant of Israel who's come into the kingdom. It's awesome. It's complex, but that's the way I, that's the best way I can explain it. Yeah, I think unity with distinction is a great way to explain it. We're still Jews. We're still Gentiles, right. but we have this unity. Totally. So this idea of grafted in that we've been talking about, obviously, there's a lot going on in the world since October 7th, totally. as you mentioned. What is a Gentile supposed to do with this right. when it comes to how they're interacting with other Jewish people or Israel, as in Israel, the people around the world? How can they apply this idea of grafted in and making Israel jealous? Yeah, I think, you know, one of one of our one of my friends and a friend of 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 this ministry and this podcast, Asher Intrader, who leads uh, a ministry called Tikkun, which is restoration out of Jerusalem, uh, addressed this because, you know, on October 7th, right, people's sympathy is peaked, right? And people are going, it's horrible what happened. And it was horrible. But then as the days wear on, the issues become complex and Christians are going, wait a minute, if I stand with Israel, does that mean I have to hate the Arab and Palestinian people? Or if I identify with the plight and the suffering of Palestinians, does that mean I have to vilify Israel? And where do I stand? And, and the Christian community actually started to go silent. We just stopped talking, mm -hmm. right? Because we didn't know what to say that wouldn't be met with rebuttal or violence or a harsh reaction. And I think the Christian community started to say, yeah, it stinks what happened for Israel. Like I feel for them. But what does that have to do with me? Yeah. And Asher said this, you have to understand, and we can say Hamas is like a microcosm of what the scriptures tell us is coming between now and the, the return of Yeshua. What do I mean by that? This kind of demonically inspired, radical worldview that says we need to wipe certain people groups off the face of the earth in obedience to our own religious systems, mm -hmm. which is exactly what Hamas is. They exist for the destruction of the state of Israel and Jewish people in the region. Okay. And Asher said this, it's not just about Israel because you have to understand Hamas is coming for you next. And when he said you, he was talking to Christians, Christians going, yeah. what do I have to do with this? And that sounds outlandish, right? That takes a lot of chutzpah. My grandma would have said, uh, she always did say that you have a lot of chutzpah. That's right. Anyway, it takes a lot of chutzpah to say, and they're coming for you next. But what was his point? The same ideology that would seek to destroy Jewish people also says we need to destroy anyone who doesn't bow the knee to Allah. This is our duty before Allah to serve him is to wipe out followers of any other system, especially those Jewish or Christians mm -hmm. who would identify with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are our enemies and we exist to destroy them. So that idea I think is important to keep in mind here, right? The idea that as, as, as time goes on and as we march ever closer, we don't know the day or the hour, but to this idea promised in the Bible of the return of Jesus, the return of Yeshua, what's going to happen in terms of demonic assignments to try to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth will happen in increasing measure to Christian followers of him. Mm -hmm. So there's that, that our destinies are, are tied up one to the other. And this idea that if you're part of the olive tree, Ask, and if, if you don't have this, if you're listening going, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have it, I'm confused, ask the Lord. This is my simple, and I, I've heard so many people, dozens, hundreds of Christians bear testimony to this. Ask the Lord for his heart, for his chosen people, and see what he does. Just say, as you're reading the Bible, as you're doing your devotionals, as you're in prayer, as you're pursuing being a, you know, a holy, devoted follower of Jesus, ask him, give me your heart in greater measure than I have, for, for the people of Israel, for Jewish people all around the world and, and see what he does. Because I think that's part of the provocation to jealousy, right? 
If you're not carrying your faith, and it doesn't mean learning Hebrew words, like let's yeah. just be clear, or knowing the names of the holidays or being able to count to 10 in you know, Hebrew or whatever, or you know, your Star of David six-point tambourine that you bring to church with your shofar in your bag. Like, Don't do that. Please don't do that. But how do you carry your faith in a way that's going to be recognizable to a Jewish person? How do you talk about your faith? Who is it that you worship? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it Yeshua who came as the Jewish Messiah, who also came as your Savior? Or is it Jesus Christ, the God of the Christians? You know, it's interesting. As you were mentioning the Hamas thing, I was thinking, that's terrifying to think that they're going to come for Christians next. Right. But then thinking about the unity thing, I was thinking, well, I guess that is what we should feel. We right. should feel this right. unity with the Jewish people. That is terrifying. Not, oh, they're after the Jews and us Christians were over here just totally. chilling. But like, how do we have that heart for the Jewish people and feel that same anguish that they're feeling? Totally. And I think, you know, as I look at the scriptures, people may listen to this and agree or disagree. I think a big part of the eyes of the Jewish people being open, Carly, between now and the return of the Lord is going to be the unexplainable lay down your life love that they experience from Christians, from followers of Yeshua who say, our destinies are linked together. Like the Lord is jealous for you and he's given me a love for you. And I want you to know the same Messiah who came first for you and who came also for me. Mm -hmm. That's a game changer conversation from, I hope it works out for Israel, or I don't know how I feel about what the state of Israel is doing. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for those listening, one, you have a role, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, that's what we're trying to say is you each have a, a distinct role and read Romans 11 for yourself. Like we're quoting a few passages here, but go read it for yourself and ask the Lord to show you what that is going to mean for your life. Totally. Don't skip it and don't say, well, Paul had to sort of give the Romans a spanking because they didn't understand some things. I think actually Romans 9, 10, 11 in greater and greater measure. I really feel this way every month, every year. It's in the Bible because we would need it and we need it now more than ever. What is God doing with Israel and the Jewish people, the people of Israel, Jewish people around the world? And why does that matter for Christians? And that's the question. The Lord's doing things on the earth. Do we want to participate with him in it and share in that joy and that glory and that reward? Or do we want to be offended at him and resist it? Either way, he's going to do it. So there's an invitation for Christians there in Romans 11 that I challenge you, pray into, take a hold of. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to answer on these upcoming Israel episodes is what does this mean for Christians and Jews based on what's going on in Israel? So if you have further questions, send them in and hopefully we'll answer them on future episodes. If you benefited from what you heard today and want to benefit others, we support over 80 ministries in Israel right now. And if you do feel led to give in a financial way, 100% of what you give through us goes to those ministries on the ground. We've just committed an additional million dollars to partner ministries we stand with in Israel this year alone. So if you don't know where to give, we're able to take your gift and get it directly to our ministry partners in Israel. Please go to a Jew and a Gentile to give today. And if you want to hear more episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast content. And we'd also love if you leave us a review and share this podcast with someone you know. And if you're not ready to become a supporter today, just let us know that you listen. You can go to our website at Jew and a Gentile or click in the show notes for more information. You can also follow us on social media at the handle a Jew and a Gentile Discuss. And if there's anything you want us to discuss or have us answer, please submit your questions at our website, a Jew and a Gentile This is Carly and Ezra. Thanks for listening to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. Join us next week for another episode. The show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International. <laughs>